Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find more episodes of For What It's Worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Investors had been enjoying a strong rally this summer, and the S&P 500 had climbed more than 15% over two months. But downside volatility is back in the mix, and markets are paying close attention to Fed comments about inflation and the future of interest rates. To offer his perspective on the current investing landscape, I'm really pleased to welcome back our featured guest, Raymond James Chief Investment Officer, Larry Adam. Larry, great to be speaking with you again. Great to be back. Thank you, Paige. Let's jump right in with a really direct question that investors want to know. Is the U.S. economy in a recession? We don't think we're in a recession. And I know there's a lot of people out there thinking that we're in a recession because when you look at the first quarter and second quarter GDP, it was negative. But I think this is a classic example where you have to dig below the surface to see what's actually going on. And just to give you a little bit of flavor of that, if you look at the first quarter, about three percentage points of that GDP were subtracted because imports were greater than exports that we sent to the rest of the world. Now, to me, that's not necessarily a recession. Why? Because if our imports are going higher, that means that you and I are buying things from around the world. That's not really recessionary. If anything, I think that that's an indication that the rest of the world is weak, whereas our economy remains strong. During the second quarter, if you saw you, that two percentage points of that GDP were subtracted because inventory levels were worked lower. Now, think about that. That means that you and I, again, were out there buying these inventories from all these retailers, which to me is actually a good sign. So I think when you look under the surface, I don't think we're in a recession. The consumer remains strong. Business spending remains strong. However, if I was worried about a recession, our economist does believe that next year would be a higher probability of that happening. He puts a 60% probability of a recession next year. However, I would caveat that and tell you that if we do have one, he thinks that that will be the mildest recession we have ever had here in the United States. Inflation remains a key talking point and concern among investors. You've written that you think we're probably past the peak of inflation. Is that still your view? And if so, why? I think we're past the peak in inflation. And in fact, by the end of this year, I think we'll be on a very solid downward trajectory. And I think if you look at the different components of inflation, what you'd see is that, for example, commodity prices, they've already started to come down quite dramatically. I mean, if you look at oil, oil's down 25%. Copper is down almost 30%. Remember, everybody was talking about lumber? Well, lumber now is down about 65% from its recent peak. So commodity prices are coming down. When you look at the goods that you and I buy on a regular basis, look at these mass retailers out there. They're having very substantial discounting taking place because they have all of this inventory. In fact, you can get a lot of things for 30, 40, 50% off now. If you look at used cars, right? Everybody was worried about them. You've seen their prices decline now six out of the last seven months. And remember that semiconductor crisis that everybody was talking about? Now, semiconductors in some cases, depending on which ones, some of them are actually in a glut. When you look at food prices, our restaurant analyst believes you're going to start to see those prices easing during the fourth quarter. 
And then finally, when you go into next year, I think you'll start to see rent prices ease. And that's because you are seeing the housing market starting to slow. And that tends to have a lagged impact on rent. So I think that'll be the final part of inflation starting to come down next year. The important part of that is that if inflation does continue that downward trajectory, I think that that will give the Fed more flexibility so that they won't have to raise rates as aggressively as we go into next year. And then the final point I'd make is that I think we're past our peak here in the United States. But when you look overseas, when you look at, for example, Europe, I still think the peak still lies ahead of them. And that's one of the reasons why when you look at our investment strategy, why we continue to favor the U.S. over those other international markets like Europe. We saw markets respond somewhat dramatically to Fed Chair Powell's comments at the Jackson Hole Symposium on August 26th. Can you break down that situation? Where did the reaction stem from? Yeah, I think people maybe misread some of that. And, and part of this is as being a CIO or strategist, you kind of sometimes have to be a psychologist. And I think behind this is something that I talk about once bitten, twice shy. And the reason I say that is because if you think about it, there's been a lot of people kind of questioning the credibility of the Fed because in many people's mind, they got that word transitory wrong last year. In many regards, I think that was more of a marketing problem that the Fed had because they didn't define what transitory was. And by the way, I don't think they would have been wrong if it wasn't for the fact that we had the Ukraine-Russia crisis, which obviously elevated energy prices and agricultural commodities. So because of that, I don't think they want to be wrong a second time. So I think they're going to keep this pretty close to the vest and continue to push on bringing down inflation until they see a certain pattern develop. And what I mean by that is that one month isn't going to make a pattern. They're going to want to see it for a couple of months, call it three, four months, before they actually start to ease up on that rhetoric. And I think that that's likely to occur during the fourth quarter. So you think the rhetoric that we saw in those comments was maybe a little more aggressive than markets had anticipated? It was more aggressive. I think if you, the big word out there in the market was the Fed was pivoting, right? Well, after that, all of a sudden, everyone said the pivot was off. So I do think the market kind of got ahead of itself because everybody's looking for this inflation to come down as we are. But I think it's premature to declare victory over inflation until you see it come down for you know several months. You've mentioned a couple times already the strength of the consumer, that that's a really uh, important indicator for you when it when it comes to the uh, the future conditions of the market. At what point would you say, you know what, the consumer's not looking as strong? What are some of the indicators that you would keep an eye on for a little bit of a shift there? You know, it's funny. It's probably the biggest question that I get from people that there's been this big disconnect, right? The fact that consumer sediment is the weakest on record yet consumers continue to spend. So what's the disconnect? And I always draw the analogy to myself in some ways, in the sense that I'm not happy that I had to pay $20 for lunch at the local deli. I'm not happy that I had to pay north of $4 a gallon for gasoline. I'm not happy that every time something breaks in my house to get somebody out, it gets more and more expensive. But the point is, I pay it. Why? Well, first of all, like many people, you're seeing solid uh, employment conditions, right? Last month, we generated 500,000 jobs plus. I think for the remainder of this year, 
We think we're going to continue to generate north of 150 to 200,000 jobs on average. That technically is still considered a healthy environment. People are getting wage increases. Year-over-year wage growth is still 5%. If you wanted to spend, if you look at the excess savings, it's still north of $2 trillion that, that consumers can tap into to get money if they need it. And then if you look at consumer credit, it still really isn't at the trend levels that it was prior to the pandemic. So consumers, if they need to, can tap their credit cards to continue to spend. And I think given what we've all been through over the last two and a half years, people still want to spend to make themselves feel better of what they've missed out on. So I still think the consumer remains strong. If I were to change my opinion on that, I'd have to start to see job growth start to be a lot more negative, meaning we're not generating jobs. Consumer sentiment would have to continue to remain at those lower levels, but it would have to start to spread out, meaning to businesses. And what I always say is that you got to remember that business owners are consumers. And if all of a sudden businesses, consumers, the government, if everybody stops spending at the same time, you could literally walk us into a recession. So I'd be cautious of looking at that to see if that consumer sentiment does start to uh, turn around. And then I'd, I think I'd keep a close eye on this holiday shopping season, because I think that, that you're likely to see, in my opinion, a still a pretty healthy uh, uh, holiday shopping season. And that'll be a good indication that people are still willing and able to spend out there. Among commodities, you mentioned gas. We've seen prices have fallen from those really intense highs that we had earlier in the summer. Do you expect that trend to continue? You know, I would say, first of all, that that's probably been the biggest gift to consumers this summer. I mean, gasoline prices have pretty much fallen now for almost 80 consecutive days. And I think that that's done two things. First of all, it's given consumers more disposable income to spend on other things than gasoline, which is a positive. And then historically, there's this negative correlation between gasoline prices and consumer sediment. And the fact that gasoline prices have now come down for the first time in four months, you've seen consumer sediment actually improve. And that's a good harbinger as we go into this holiday shopping season that could help consumers spend. Now, as far as the trajectory of it, if we were in normal times, I would say that the price would continue to go lower. Because if you look back historically, the price of gasoline tends to peak in June and then grind lower through the remainder of this year. And the reason for that is that the further and further we get away from the summer driving season, that tends to reduce demand on gasoline and it tends to lower the price. However, as, as we're all aware, we're in unique times. And one thing that could change that this year is that you have to remember that on October 21st, that will end the government's releases of oil into the market, which was a million barrels per day of the strategic petroleum reserves. Okay, that potentially could put some upside pressure or at least not allow prices to continue their downward trajectory. The other things I'd keep an eye on, you know, you have this potential for an Iranian nuclear deal. If that were to get passed, which right now most political pundits think that that's still a 50-50 out there, so it's not our base case yet. But if that were to occur, that would bring more oil onto the market. That could actually lower. That would easily replace that strategic 
petroleum reserve release that we're talking about. So there's still a couple of indicators out there. I think primarily though, we'll stay right around the levels we are slightly lower because if you look at our energy analyst forecast, they believe the fair value of oil is somewhere between that 95 to $100 per barrel level. And I gotta say, just to, as a call out to them, I think they've done a phenomenal job with forecasting oil because for a lot of listeners out there, you probably remember not too long ago, there were a lot of pundits out there and research analysts saying that oil was gonna go to 150, 175, 200. There was one major brokerage farm out there that said that energy prices were going to go north of $300 per barrel. They didn't believe that. They thought that supply demand was much more in balance than what many people believed. And they've been proven correctly. So I give them a lot of credit. What is your perspective when it comes to real estate? You mentioned that lumber costs have come down a little bit. Maybe we're seeing a little bit of um, more balancing when it comes to construction. Do you think that's going to have any tie to a real estate market shift? I think the biggest driver of the real estate market is obviously mortgage rates. And as mortgage rates have gone higher, that's started to slow the, the housing market. And I think that that's going to continue to weigh on prices. Our economist thinks that you're going to continue to see some softening in the real estate market from now through next year. Now, clearly, real estate's all about location, right? So there are some places that could continue to benefit, but in aggregate, he thinks you're going to continue to see that softening because mortgage rates have been uh, elevated here of late. Different sectors, we've seen them, you know, responding differently to these post-pandemic quarters, now inflation. Where do you see some of the opportunities for investors in the months ahead? Yeah, you bring up a great point in the sense that right now, selectivity is paramount when it comes to the equity market. And if you look at our favorite sectors, I think there's two important dynamics that you would see front and center. Number one, they're the most attractively valued sectors, meaning they're the least expensive when you look at them versus the other ones. And number two, they have earnings growth, but more importantly, they have the visibility of earnings growth, which reduces some of the uncertainty about how much they're going to grow. And when you look at, at the sectors from those vantage points, there are a couple that really come to the forefront. And some of our favorites, for example, are healthcare. And clearly, you can see that the demographics are driving that sector as, as we have the aging population. When you look at the backlogs out there for elective surgeries and the fact that people want to take better care of themselves, particularly post-pandemic, I think you can see the visibility of, of earnings for that particular sector driving their earnings and obviously driving their prices higher. When it comes to another sector we like, energy, that's another very uh, inexpensive sector. And when you think about the fact that the average price of oil to get it out of the ground is right around $50, $55 per barrel. So the fact that oil prices are $90, $95 per barrel, that's a lot of profit that's being built into those per barrel prices. What does that mean? Well, that increases the profits of energy companies, which means that they can increase their dividends, which is a good thing for investors. They can increase their buybacks, which is a good thing for investors, or they can invest in the future, either to produce more oil or other renewable energy sources to diversify their holdings. And all three of those things are good for a shareholder. Another area that we like is financials. The reason for that is that we don't think that financials have been fully reflective of 
the increase in interest rates that we've seen. So that should continue to drive their earnings. And then when it comes to technology, that's an area that we continue to like, but there is some controversy, if you will, sometimes when it comes to that sector. And we tend to like the large mega cap technology stocks out out there that are well diversified. Now, a lot of people will point to the fact that there are a lot of these beneficiaries that occurred during the pandemic, right? Some of those household names that deal with video conferencing, that deal with subscription types of things when it comes to health programs. But the fact is, those well-known names, believe it or not, they are not even considered or or part of the S&P 500. And when we do our research, that's really what we're making our targets off of, the S&P 500. And those mega cap Technology companies are the ones that are in the S&P 500. That's why we continue to think that their futures remain bright, particularly when you consider the fact that technology continues to be the backbone of this economy, not only today, but in the future. A closing question for you here, Larry. What is the most important thing that you think investors should keep in mind for the rest of the year? So I'm going to I'm going to take two things. I think first of all it's important to recognize that it's it's very difficult and nobody's perfect at predicting the future. And there's a lot of uncertainty particularly over the last 2 years, a lot of the unprecedented events that we've seen. But the two things that I would keep in mind are that if you're in the equity markets, you have to be a long-term investor. And the reason that's an important reminder is that if you think about it as you mentioned in your lead-in, if you would have gotten out of the market in June when the market was down 25%, you would have missed out on that 17% plus rally that we actually saw occur during the summer months, which is a time period when a lot of people say you really shouldn't be even focused on the markets. So being longer term, I think is very important to help weather those volatility storms that can be out there. Second, I think it's important to not allow emotions to dictate those portfolio decisions. And if you think about it, I think this year has been a very good example of that year. And the reason I say that is at the beginning of this year, consumer confidence was very high. If you looked at investor confidence, everybody was looking for the S&P 500 to continue to go to new record highs, you know, day after day, right? Well, if you think about it, that didn't really work out because we've actually been down this year. Now, conversely, when we were at the June time period, as I mentioned to you, consumer sentiment was at an all-time record low. And if you looked at investor confidence, it was at historically depressed levels. If you look since then, the market's been up. So my point is, when it comes to investing, sometimes looking at it from a contrarian perspective to make potential opportunities, or more importantly, to prevent you from making those knee-jerk reactions can oftentimes add value longer term. Plus the fact that you spend so much time coming up with that portfolio that fits your needs, you want to stay pretty close to that portfolio over time to help you weather any of the volatility that is forthcoming. Timeless reminders from Raymond James Chief Investment Officer, Larry Adam. Larry, thank you again for your perspective today. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Paige. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time.
All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC-NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James and Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James and Associates Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.